coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. As we go to show today, there are so many headlines coming from Atlanta from a couple of different vantage points when it comes to the Cop City Atlanta Police, I'm sorry, Public Safety Training Center debate. There was a raid on what is locally called the Teardown House that alleges money laundering taking place in one of the many organizations that opposes the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. What's ironic is we learned last week that the price tag that Atlanta taxpayers are going to have to pay for their part in the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center is probably going to double. (laughs) But the teardown house, people in the teardown house, they're the ones laundering money. Not the Atlanta Police Foundation. Not the city of Atlanta ready to rubber stamp tens of millions more that Atlanta taxpayers will have to pick up the tab for despite being overwhelmingly against. So again, there's a raid on the Teardown House. The uh, Atlanta Solidarity Fund is uh, a collective, an organization that has been uh, fundraising essentially to deal with, well, I mean, it costs money to to post bail and legal defense and stuff like that. So uh, a a little background on this. We've got uh, Micah Herskin on with us who uh, joins us. Uh, we've had him on before. You've been covering this Cop City story like about as in-depth as any one individual can, so I want to thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you, in fact, had have even kind of faced a little bit of this this beast, this animal, the Atlanta Police Fund and their 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 corporate arms, and there was some blowback. You, you, you even dealt with, I, I think, uh, what I'll just call it what it is, and you don't have to say, some harassment from media entities trying to cost you employment. But here we have now, <laughs> we're, we're a week ago finding out that the price tag for Atlanta taxpayers is going to be twice what it was for the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. But the money laundering problem is with the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. Can you fill in the gaps for me? Make some sense of this for me, Micah. Yeah. So essentially this morning, um, three individuals were arrested during a SWAT raid in a residential area of Edgewood. You know, you had these SWAT officers with guns and riot shields. um, And they arrested three people who are um, who work with the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. The Atlanta Solidarity Fund has been around since 2016. And they're basically a bail fund. They provide um, they, they coordinate legal support and they, they post bail for people who have been criminalized while exercising their First Amendment right. They're really sort of this, this critical infrastructure um, that, you know, just supports people who have been criminalized for protesting. Um, you know, it's, people have a right to, to legal representation when they're arrested. And, you know, everyone, if bail is set, has the right to pay that bail and to get out. And so they are there really to, you know, ensure that people's rights are protected and now you have the people who are defending those who have been arrested being arrested themselves. And so it's this, you know, incredibly dangerous police escalation, you know, and attack on the right to protest and the right to, you know, exercise free speech. So what's the, has, has their bond been set? <laughs> has their bail been set? And who's going to spring for them? I mean, how does this work? So they'll likely have bond hearings tomorrow morning. Um but, you know, that the for, for right now, the National Bail Fund has stepped in um, to 
you know, collect donations that, you know, used to go to the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, um, because I think that, you know, it, it's possible that the state might try to seize whatever funds do exist there. Mike, do you see with, with actions like this and with the, the revelation, like I said, a week or so ago, we find out that, oh, by the way, the Atlanta taxpayer is going to be on the hook for about twice what we thought they were going to be on the uh, the hook right. for. I mean, is there is there any moment? I mean, obviously, we saw the, 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 the city council meeting a few weeks ago. 300 people spoke. 300 people were against. But is there more momentum now, do you feel, coming the way of the folks who are opposed to this site, this facility? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that the movement has really only continued to grow. And with each act of escalation from the state, whether it was, you know, the literal murder of a protester, Tortuguita, or now the arrest of and, and the charging of 42 people with domestic terrorism charges, now the arrest of, you know, folks from the Solidarity Fund. At each point, you've seen, you know, just more participation and more involvement and engagement from residents in Atlanta and really attention and pressure from across the country and across the world. You know, the more I, I think that, you know, the more the state senses that it's losing the narrative, the harsher it's cracking down. Yeah. And that's actually producing even more dissent against the facility and against the plan. This is like one of those Hollywood movies where there's this huge cover up and there's this whole uh, I mean, I hate to sound like some, you know, MAGA nut, this this whole dark, sinister operative going on within government. But this is it's it's like straight from a Hollywood script almost, and the, yeah. the the repercussions, as you mentioned, seem to get harsher and swifter and more headline inducing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and, and they're making you know Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp today made a statement basically to the effect of we're not just going after the protesters, we're not just going after the people who support the protesters, we're going after anyone who's contributed to this. You know, so the implication here is wow. that really anyone could be on the hook anyone could be sort of liable to to be to be snatched up in the middle of the night early in the morning like happened today by the police for you know either supporting or being a part of this movement so it really is this you know incredibly dangerous escalation and it has implications you know not just for the stop cop city movement but for abortion funds for you know folks who are bailing people out after they're arrested you know trying to exercise their right to vote you know people working for migrant justice whatever it is you know, what they're saying is that everyone is on the table to be arrested for really any form of political speech against the state. This is fascistic sort of. Fascism. Yeah, I mean, this is kind <laughs> and of. It's, and it's bipartisan fascism, right? Because, yeah. you know, they're, they're saying that this raid today, this raid today was a joint effort between the Atlanta Police Department and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, right? This is the Democratic led city and the Republican, you know, led state that are working hand in hand to really try to stamp out any whiff of dissent against the state. Um, and, you know, I, I, I come from a, a broader political perspective and viewpoint on this. I mean, we can sit here and talk about Cop City a lot more, but like on the whole, we're heading into an election cycle with a fairly unpopular president. Uh, those on the far left are, are, are not as enamored with, with Joe Biden uh, as those in the in the in the moderate and the center central lanes of the Democratic Party, but Georgia is a swing state, and if you sour thousands right. of voters in a swing state that are in your camp, they're begging yeah. to be on your team. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't make the the uh, the numbers look good for twenty twenty four. Well, well, exactly. And, you know, you have both Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, who, you know, won by pretty thin margins, who are now ignoring residents who are reaching out to them constantly saying, hey, 
please stand with us. We are being criminalized just because we don't want a forest to be destroyed mm. and just because we don't want to invest $90 million in policing. And so far, they've been almost entirely silent on the facility, you know, and, and on the plan and on these charges. And so, you know, they are, they, I think, are ruining their chances of reelection by continuing to neglect their constituents. Now, to your point, uh, Governor Brian Kemp did release a statement that he, uh, Posted on Twitter for months, law enforcement on the state and local levels have worked diligently to secure the site of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center in the face of violence from mostly out-of-state activists. I mean, we can argue that point. They came to harass police officers and civilians. We could argue that point. Choosing destruction over legitimate protests. We could argue that point. Thanks to our brave law enforcement, many of them have already been arrested. And today we're proud to share that those who back their illegal actions are also under arrest and will face justice. He calls them criminals facilitating and encouraging domestic terrorism. I mean, these people do not deserve their day in court, let alone bail, according to Brian Kemp, the governor of the state of Georgia. Right, right. And keep in mind, these are people running a bail fund. (laughs) These are people who, when someone gets arrested on on what have been bogus charges so far, these incredibly trumped up domestic terrorism charges, they are the people who go and post bail. That is a completely constitutionally protected activity, and they're being targeted for it because, you know, those in power don't like that this movement is winning and don't like that the public opinion has turned so significantly against Cop City. We're on with uh, local activist and writer Michael Herskin, who's been covering the Cop City story for quite a while. I'm, I'm a little concerned now that maybe you and I just having this conversation and being so public about it. Are we in the crosshairs now, too? I, I mean, I've... I, well, this- and th- that's, that's a great point. And I think that this is the point of this repression is, is to make us think, you and me talking about this, does this open us up to domestic terrorism charges? Does this, you know put us into the RICO case that they're trying to build. You know, I think that that is the point of this repression. And it's no coincidence that it comes right before June 5th, which is this, you know, major day where city council is going to vote on $67 million for Cop City. You know, it's, it's no coincidence that they're taking away the legal support arm of the movement, you know, right before this major vote. Again, if folks want to donate to any sort of uh, a bail defense fund, obviously this one is 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 a little quirky right now. So do do we do we send folks to the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, or do we send them somewhere else because now they they've got to step in and help the Atlanta Solidarity people out, or what? Right. So there is actually a new link to donate to the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, and it is through um, the National Bail Fund Network. So people can just Google National Bail Fund Network, Atlanta Solidarity Fund, and, and you'll find the link there. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm a, little, I'm a little creeped out. Now, you know, I, I was sitting here we, before we, we even went on the air. I'm sitting here complaining to Micah that, like, I can't get anybody else on the air to talk about this. I've not taken like a position one way or the other on this topic but i'm giving a platform and it it seems like even just giving the platform may have me in trouble with folks i can't there are certain city council people who won't come on this show now and i don't know if it's Mm -hmm. because they're afraid to to speak their mind in opposition to cop city or or what i I mean i'm i'm offering the plat and those who are in the movement and it seems like I, i was complaining actually i'm like i can't get anybody on the show and now maybe we're kind of realizing why the folks are scared to come on the show. Not right, that, not that right. this isn't, yeah, you know, I'm a friendly platform. I'm willing to hear everybody out, but. Sure, sure. And, and again, you know, this, this is the intent of these arrests. And this has been the goal all along. You know, they started calling people domestic terrorists back in December 
because they wanted to scare people from joining the movement. You know, they did the raid on the forest in March and arrested, I want to say, 23 people on domestic terrorism charges who were just, you know, hanging out at a concert because they wanted people to leave. So, you know, the, the goal of all of this, often they know that these charges aren't going to stick and they know that, you know, these are bogus, trumped up political prosecutions, but they know that charges don't have to stick because they can, you know, keep someone in court for years. And in the meantime, you can do a lot of damage and scare a lot of people. Scary stuff. Folks can follow along. Uh, you, you're all over this, uh, by the way, not just on Twitter, but uh, on your on your blog as well. Uh, you can find that. In fact, we'll put the link in our show notes at uh, ronshowetl.com, michaelherskin.com. Or, I'm sorry. I did that again. MicahHerskin.com. I did that like twice last time I had you on this. No wonder you didn't come back. Anyway, uh, MicahHerskin.com. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter as well. We'll have those links at RonShowATL.com. Micah, I know you're super busy. I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time today. Uh, this this story just continually involving, uh, evolving. And, and the headlines just get more facepalm-inducing. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care. By the way, having watched Ozark to completion, I am a expert on money laundering. Not really. Anyway, Ron Show back after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Thursday. This whole Cop City thing just gets weirder and creepier and more sinister feeling by the minute, does it not? It's such a poorly handled, as our friend Micah Herskin mentioned, such a poorly handled narrative almost from the jump. Even Mayor Andre Dickens has said as much that from the jump, they've done a poor job on the narrative. And the money laundering shtick, listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that these are trumped up charges, but money laundering, I mean, that, that implies, that implies money going to use for something other than uh, a bail fund through the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. And I mean, you better have some proof because that becomes federal, right? I think that becomes a federal crime. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, if the three people arrested today, and by the way, did it take a SWAT team? Oh my gosh. Uh, if the three people arrested today are guilty of money laundering, if, if if that's valid, obviously, I don't want crimes to go unpunished. Certainly not at the top. Is there an indictment yet for the former president? Another? No? Okay. I know, I know, I know. Funny Willis is saying August, September. Okay. But if there were Legit crimes here, it still doesn't work to the narrative for the folks who are pushing for the Atlanta police, I'm sorry, public safety training facility. I promise you I'm not screwing that up on purpose. I purposely try not to call this development Cop City. I try to take a little bit of a journalistic integrity tilt to this because as I've said before, I haven't taken a position one way or the other, if I'm for or against it. I certainly understand the need for such facilities, and I do understand that the current facilities are not up to par, but they managed to they managed to pull off this raid in Edgewood just blocks from where I live this morning, very peacefully, without incident. And then Governor Kemp's tweet, man, I mean, he just steps right in it, doesn't equivocate he's already determined that these folks are guilty i mean how does that work when you're the governor i mean i know this isn't uh, a murder case where the death penalty is involved and there's going to be a, an appeal at the at the governor's desk but 
How do you do that, Governor Kemp? How do you use a statement, these criminals facilitated and encouraged domestic terrorism with no regard for others watching as communities face the destructive consequences of their actions? How do you say that publicly, Brian Kemp? And the intimidation is implied because he continues, today's announcement is a reminder that we will track down every, underlined every member of a criminal organization from violent foot soldiers to their uncaring leaders. We will not rest until they are arrested, tried, and faced punishment. If I'm their attorney, I ask, how, how do my clients, or does my client, if it's, how do my clients get a fair trial when the governor has already decided their guilt? Incidentally, if you're not following Micah Herskind on Twitter, he, I'm telling you, he's a great follow to stay on top of this story. You can find him at Micah, M-I-C-A-H, in ATL. The next Twitter follow I'm going to give you, I mean, this is huge. The Atlanta Community Press Collective, at Atlanta underscore press, also all over this. They share Brian Kemp's statement with the following tweets as well. The charges for the first of the three Atlanta Solidarity Fund organizers are now posted. One count of records and reports of certain currency transactions and one count of fraudulent, misrepresenting, misleading activities regarding charitable solicitations. The Atlanta Community Press Collective continues, the records and reports of certain currency transactions charge relates to bookkeeping for financial institutions. Under Georgia law, organizations are required to keep record of any, quote, suspicious transactions and file a report on them with federal authorities. There are several tiers to the records-keeping charge. The maximum punishment is a fine of $500,000 or twice the amount involved in the transaction, whichever is greater. Imprisonment of up to 20 years or both. The penalties for the fraudulent charitable solicitations charges are both civil and criminal. The criminal penalties include fines up to $5,000 and imprisonment of at least one year, up to five. Civil penalties, $10,000 or the amount of the transactions, whichever is higher. In a statement from DeKalb County Jail, according to the Atlanta Community Press Collective, Marlon Couch, one of the Atlanta Solidarity Fund organizers arrested May 31st, said, quote, he is not intimidated and is committed to doing the important work to support activists. And as Micah mentioned in our last segment, the National Bail Fund has now taken temporary responsibility for carrying out bail support in place of the Atlanta Solidarity Fund while the organizers of ASF, quote, face targeted political repression. That from the National Bail Fund. And again, if you follow the Atlanta Community Press Collective at Atlanta underscore press on Twitter, they do share uh, the National Bail Fund Act Blue Link if you'd like to support. Again, as I mentioned in my conversation with Micah, we learned last week that the Cop City Atlanta Taxpayer Tab looks to have doubled to $67 million, according to the folks at Atlanta Capital B News, Atlanta.Capital B News. If approved by the full city council next week, the price tag would double what city officials originally said. Madeline Thickpin, Chauncey Alcorn reporting on that. We'll share that story uh, in our show notes at ronshowatl.com. The story starts, the legislation to fund the controversial public safety training center known as Cop City. Moving forward, despite reports of alleging it will cost Atlanta taxpayers twice what the mayor's office has told the public. City officials had previously said that the Atlanta Police Foundation would cover about two-thirds of the facility's $90 million price tag, while Atlanta would chip in $30 million. But last week, 
Estimates by the Atlanta Community Press Collective, a local media nonprofit, put the city's potential contribution closer to $67 million. That number is based on the collective's analysis of the legislation introduced by District 9 Council Member Dustin Hillis that the Finance Executive Committee voted to advance on May 24th. The Training Center funding ordinance is scheduled for a final city council vote, as Micah mentioned, on June 5th. That article goes on to explain that there is a leaseback clause. The ordinance grants the mayor the power to enter a leaseback agreement with the foundation, the foundation managing fundraising efforts for the facility. And it was Atlanta's chief financial officer, Mohamed Bala, who said that the leaseback would come via a loan that the police foundation will take out to help pay for the center, that the city will pay back through an annual $1.2 million installments over 30 years for a total of $36 million. Now, to be fair, the city is saying that that $1.2 million a year actually makes itself revenue neutral because then the city won't be continuing to rent other facilities for police and fire training that apparently they're spending each year now to do. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't dive into the city budget uh, that extensively. I will take them at their word on that at face value. See, I'm trying to be somewhat journalistic here. All right, that is a story that just keeps on giving. Here we are on the last day of May, and we enter into Pride Month, and yet Pride Month already has made headlines, if not uh, scenes, at your local Target, maybe your nearby Kohl's. I don't think there's a Kohl's ITP. I've been to the one in Marietta a time or two. Is that the nearest Kohl's to me? I used to love Kohl's. They get you with that Kohl's cash, man. They, they, they do. They lure you in with that. And then, yeah, I got Kohl's cash. I got to spend it. You wind up spending it and then some more. Boy, brilliant. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and now the Braves have Pride Night, and they're catching a lot of flack on Facebook for that. Even though they've done this for, what, 10 years now? Get with the times, guys. Anyway, from Georgia Equality Executive Director Jeff Graham joins us to talk about their evening for equality fundraiser coming up Saturday night and all the cacophony with Coles and Target, et cetera, and so on. Back after this. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So it's the final day of May. We're heading into June, which is Pride Month. And that has garnered so many headlines before Pride Month. What with uh, Bud Light, what with Target and Kohl's, all being targets for folks who want to make noise about what companies have been doing for decades or longer. Nonetheless, let's talk about Pride Month heading into it. There's a huge event that Georgia Quality is hosting, an evening for equality coming up June 3rd at the Intercontinental in Buckhead. Jeff Graham, Executive Director of Georgia Equality, joins me. Jeff, how are you? Thanks for joining me. I'm great, Ron. Thanks so much for having me on the, on the show today. It seems like we're in this period where we've made so many strides when it comes to LGBTQ plus equality, and now we're, we're, we're getting a little bit of the blowback. Uh, it, this, this isn't uncommon in human history. It's not uncommon in American history. We had blowback after the Civil War. Reconstruction had its time, and then the Jim Crow era made its blowback. We had the Wilmington riots. We had the Black Wall Street Tulsa riots. We, we saw this after the Civil Rights Movement, not just overtly, but somewhat subvertly as well, politically speaking. Is this similar? Are we going through some similar sort of scenario, do you think, in your mind? 
Yes, most most definitely. And and I'm glad you provide that historical context because I do think it's important uh, for people to to recognize what is going on and uh, you know, frankly, to 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 honor uh, you know, the words, the memory, and the action of Dr. King, it really does prove that uh, the arc of the moral universe uh, is long, but it does bend towards justice. Oh, I like that you brought that up, because it's true. I- incrementalism, listen, I'm a Bernie guy from back in 2016. I hated the word incrementalism. Yeah, But there's something to be said for acknowledging that this country is just not set up by its foundation in the 1700s just is not set up for sweeping change at the drop of a hat. And as much as we'd like to change that on some realms, that those are the facts. That's just the way this, this country and society has been set up almost from its uh, infancy. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, for those of us whose lives are most directly impacted by uh, the wins and the losses that mm. we have had over the decades, uh, it seems like change... Uh, especially for LGBTQ plus folks, cannot come fast enough. Uh, But uh, if you actually look at it on a timeline, uh, part of what we will be celebrating this year, this June, is uh, it was 20 years ago that the Supreme Court ruled in Lawrence versus Texas that sodomy laws were unconstitutional. So as LGBTQ folks, frankly, as all Americans, to be honest with you, mm. none of us had the right to expect that our sex lives could be private until 2003. Um, and, you know, it was the Bowers versus Hardwick Supreme Court decision in 1986 uh, that actually declared that the, the that states did have a compelling interest to regulate the sex lives of their citizens and the georgia sodomy law included both straight and gay sex so i uh, you know if we look at it at points in time all of this has happened in my lifetime and i'm not that old a person sure uh, i've got gray hairs but you know all of this has has helped to frame my life so um so it 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 really has been pretty substantial changes that have occurred in the last 20 years from the time that the Supreme Court said that we did have a right to our own private sex lives. And then, of course, came marriage. Uh, Then, of course, came a series of rulings um, on the constitutionality of non-discrimination laws. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We've seen dramatic rises in the number of open LGBTQ folks holding office. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, we've seen social acceptance uh, in our families, in our faith institutions, and in our workplaces that has been building over the last three decades to the point that, uh, depending upon where you're looking at a poll, but upwards of three quarters of the society fully accepts and embraces LGBTQ folks. It's unfortunate, though. Polling doesn't translate to action politically in this country for various reasons, and and we we know that those are many and varied, whether it's gerrymandering, a a rural bias in the Senate, uh, the Electoral College dysfunctioning, the presidential outcomes, 
uh, even at the state level and sometimes at the local level as well, uh, you know, those sort of things, you know, are, are suppressed. Those sort of gains are suppressed. But also there, there's a, there's a little bit, I, I, I think, and, and listen, I, I speak as a gay man myself, there's almost a little bit of inner self-loathing as well. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, and maybe it's not true, but Ethan Schmidt, who I believe is accused of going into one of the Target stores uh, near where he lives and desecrating a Pride merchandise uh, area, allegedly was himself on gay dating apps for years. And I don't want you to speak to that uh, allegation, but I mean, there is a little bit of that inside our inner sanctum, isn't there? Oh, ab- absolutely. And and yes, I I I, I well, I'm I generally aware of what's happened uh, at the at some of the Target stores uh, around the the country. I'm not familiar with that specific incident, mm-hmm. but it is something that, uh, frankly, uh, I personally have battled over the years, not personally in, in terms of internal conflict for sure. me, but um, I, you know, we have seen uh, a number of times in, in my 30 plus years of being active on LGBTQ issues here in Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, a number of instances where uh, public officials who were some of the most uh, ardent supporters of anti-LGBTQ issues mm-hmm. um, ended up having family <laughs> members that identify as yeah. LGBTQ themselves. Yeah. Uh, and and it really is like taking this family dysfunction and displaying it out for the entire world to, to see and everyone else get trapped in this kind of family drama. Um, I, you know, I, I, and, and, and then there's always the individual stories that have happened uh, over decades mm-hmm. of individuals struggling with their own sense of gender identity or their own sense of sexual orientation and and amidst that struggle um uh, they do make bad decisions that have the uh, negative impacts on the rest of us in terms of the policies they promote or the legislation that that they support and that has always been a challenge that advocates have had to weigh uh, specifically in the lgbtq struggle and to me that's the ripple effect that it creates it's it's some of that self-loathing that a, a lot of folks who may be uh, in the closet or just you know hype hyper uh, you know uh, bigoted sort of create this ripple effect where this the sort of violence that we see in some in as, some aspects uh, and the desecration we see in some aspects just perpetuates itself it's un, it's so unfortunate but um yeah you know here here we are about to turn the calendar into pride month and we've seen uh, some major brands uh face some backlash whether it whether it's Kohl's uh whether it's Target and I remind people all the time uh, the clothing made for kids isn't necessarily marketed to kids I, I can't remember a child in my lifetime ever being so exuberant about, I have to, you have to buy me this, I have to wear this. No, they want toys. They want toys and video games and, and gadgets and stuff like that. But, but these kids do have parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and friends and neighbors who love them that they love as well, who may want to purchase something like that. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, frankly, we have always been apart families mm-hmm. in this society mm-hmm. we all know that um and frankly there have always been some families that have supported us 
while the story is oftentimes over the decades around rejection, mm-hmm. uh, there are also a lot of times that it's around acceptance and support. Mm -hmm. And then certainly uh, from the time that the Supreme Court made its rulings uh, in the Edie Windsor case uh, that declared that a federal ban on uh, on recognition of marriage was unconstitutional and then the Obergefell decision in 2015 that declared that state uh, restrictions on the ability of people, uh, same-sex couples to get married. We are families. Mm. Our families deserve recognition. Yes. And so uh, for someone to buy uh, a, a, a child onesie that I love my two dads or, uh, you know, I love my two moms, mm-hmm. That should not be raising eyebrows. That is not indicative of anything more nefarious than simply making a statement about reality that goes back as long as there's been onesies that have words on them. Right. Uh, You know, I should uh, be able to buy my nephews and nieces a cute little, you know, onesie or t shirt that says, I've got an awesome gunkle. You know, I mean, (laughs) yeah, no, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, uh, one of one of my favorite stories uh, is years ago, uh, one of my nephews um, was coming out to to join uh, my husband and I in in the pride parade, and he was in college at the time. One of his uh, classmates said, "Oh, well, which uncle is being honored? Um, is it your real uncle or is it uh, the other uncle?" And his response was, they were a couple before I was born. I don't know which one is which. Wow, I love that. Um, You know, and that was just such a great answer because, yeah, for him, we were just the uncles. We were both uncles. You know, one was blood, one was marriage, but we both spent the amount of time in his life. um, And we were both equally his uncles, just like it is, again, with with any other family. Absolutely. Um, and, And that's really, I think, the importance of that Supreme Court decision was putting this official seal of approval on something that was already happening, something that had already taken hold, and frankly, something that the majority of people were already okay with. And that's why it's been this delayed backlash. Um, You know, you you talked about self-loathing, and while that's certainly an important part of this story, it's not the entire story. Right. It's also around Christian nationalism yes. and people who truly want to do us harm. Right. And having them exert their influence at this particular moment in time, just when we've seen so many other extremist ideologies that have come forward over the last four to six years into mainstream political debate. Um, And that goes then across the board, not just LGBTQ folks, but it is affecting women. It's affecting people of color. Mm -hmm. It's affecting uh, uh, immigrants. Yeah. The AAPI people of minority. Yeah. Of of minority faiths. So there's also some unity uh, uh, in in what so many communities are experiencing right now, that is to me the legacy of of the the, the Donald Trump era of of American politic, uh, and and I I'll speak to that. I don't I don't need you know need you to because I know in your role you you try to 
not wander too far into the D versus R realm. We're on with Jeff Graham, Georgia Quality Executive Director. Uh, I, I remember as a kid, my, my mom bought some discounted T-shirts. One had, I think, Baltimore Orioles, and the other had New York Yankees on it. And I wore those, and it didn't make me a Yankees fan. I can't understand why a kid wearing uh, you know, an LGBTQ pride T-shirt is going to turn them gay or, or why that makes you know us groomers for even wanting to buy that sort of stuff. We're on with Jeff Graham from Georgia Equality. He's their executive director. An evening of equality coming up Saturday night at the Intercontinental in Buckhead. We'll talk more about that after the break on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday, May 31st, final day of the month of May. And it's like only 80 degrees here today. We've had a pleasant spring so far. I just know Mother Nature is going to kick us in the nards come July or August or both into September. We are on with Jeff Graham as we head into June, Pride Month, and he is the Executive Director of Georgia Equality. Lots has been uh, quibbled over in social and political spheres, and we talked a little bit about that, and uh, really want to talk about their fundraising event coming up Saturday night, June 3rd, an evening for equality at the Intercontinental in Buckhead. Tell us a little bit about that, Jeff. So this is, this is our, our, our annual gala. Um, tickets are still available for it. It's coming up uh, this coming Saturday, June 3rd. It'll be at the uh, Intercontinental Hotel in Buckhead. Uh, uh, individual tickets and host committee sponsorships are still available on our website, georgiaequality.org. Uh, but frankly, uh, the evening itself is an evening of recognizing some of the important individuals and organizations that have joined with us in this struggle to advance fairness, safety, and opportunity over the last year. Um, we're going to be recognizing many individuals um, uh, and organizations that were instrumental specifically this past year in fighting back against the anti-transgender legislation, mm -hmm. in specific, more broadly, the anti-LGBT legislation uh, here in Georgia. And while yes, there are uh, unfortunately restrictions on uh, the ability for, for transgender kids to access hormone replacement therapy that's starting on July 1st, so we weren't completely successful, we did manage to, to kill four other bills this legislative session. Um, and the fact that people are just showing up like never before, families, medical providers, uh, strong out leaders like uh, State Senator Kim Jackson, the first open uh, LGBT uh, woman to, to serve in the Georgia um, State Senate. Um, I will also be uh, looking at the advancements that have been made uh, across the state of Georgia. We'll be honoring Matt Duncan. Uh, he's a former board member at Georgia Equality, but he's also one of the leaders uh, through his work locally with Equality Augusta uh, that over the last decade uh, reached a peak. And last year, Augusta Richmond County passed a non-discrimination ordinance, becoming the 14th uh, city or local government in the state of Georgia mm. uh, to pass a non-discrimination ordinance that does provide protections in housing, uh, employment, and public accommodations that are lacking under state law 
and are not fully expressed under federal law. So uh, it's, a, it's some shining examples of the work that has taken place that hopefully will give people hope. Remember the, the importance of resilience and joy in our lives, but also to raise the funds that we need moving forward. We know that 2024 is going to be an even harder year. Mm. We're going to have harder legislative battles that uh, we need to fight with legislation that has already been introduced. Um, we also know it's going to be uh, an election year where the entire legislature will be up for uh, for re-election. Mm. And, uh, you know, Governor Kemp, I just announced that through his political organization, he's going to be targeting uh, some of the pro-equality uh, elected officials down at the legislature that have played a prominent role in uh, helping to defend the LGBTQ community this past year. Uh, we also will be having opportunities to uh, maybe oust um, some of the uh, uh, more extreme politicians that have pushed and supported these anti-LGBTQ uh, measures. Um, we'll also be uh, talking about the, the programmatic work going forward. Uh, we've got new programs that we'll be organizing around uh, youth issues, around issues within the faith community, as well as making sure that our statewide outreach in small, smaller and rural communities continues to move forward at the pace that it needs to. So uh, people can come celebrate um, those successes, recognize in community kind of the, the trauma that we are all going through right now and mm -hmm. find that sense of resilience while we're raising money for the battles that we must win going forward. It can't be all bad. We just found out recently this week that Chick-fil-A has an office of diversity, equity, and inclusiveness. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's a small victory, right? I mean, and, and now now that's the next boycott. They're going to boycott Chick-fil-A, which means we can get through the line faster. <laughs> we finally have a reason to go through the line, and then we can get through the line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have to take our victories where we get them. All right. Well, Jeff Graham, I appreciate you uh, coming to talk with me about that. If anybody would like to uh, attend an evening of equality, they can visit georgiaequality.org, correct? That's it, yes. All right, Jeff Graham, Georgia Equality. Thanks for the time. I appreciate the update. Thanks, Ron. Happy Pride Month. Going back on what we were talking about, first segment with Jeff, it's difficult when we're taking our, our wounds, when we're licking our chops a little bit from some of the backsteps, the backsliding when it comes to equality for matters of the LGBTQ+. But I, I think it's it's good to look at the frame of reference of what we were looking at 20 years ago. And it's hard to tell somebody who's just coming out as a teen or someone in their 20s what life was like 20 years ago. We sound like old people. Oh, was that back when television was black and white? Well, no, but things were different. Uh, he, he brought up Matt Duncan from Augusta, Georgia. That's my hometown. I used to be Kind of a big deal in Augusta, Georgia, when I was a morning radio host on the top 40 station in Augusta, Georgia. And this was the mid-1990s. I couldn't be out. I was not out. I didn't dare bring up my social life when it comes to who I was dating when I was on the radio. It's not even a thought now. But back then, it would have lost me my job 
it would have cost me ratings. You think Yokels going into Target and Kohl's and having hissy fits at the Pride merchandise is a thing? Oh my gosh. In the mid-1990s, again, it, it would have ruined my career. It would have cost the company I worked for untold sums of money, which would have affected other folks' jobs. I mean, that's how serious things were not that long ago, y'all. So I, listen, I encourage you, go buy your ticket, go to the Evening for Equality and, and, and fit the folks that are being honored. Senator Kim Jackson, wonderful human being. Uh, I met her at a Run for Something event um, last year, last fall, as a matter of fact. So wonderful, wonderful person, someone worth uh, getting out and, and meeting and hobnobbing with. Go celebrate Matt Duncan. Again, Augusta, Georgia is night and day different than it was in the mid-1990s. And it's because we have pioneers like Senator Kim Jackson, like Matthew Duncan, who have uh, blazed a trail. Augusta Pride is like a big deal now. It's a fantastic Pride event. And we can always say, at least we're not Tennessee. I mean, I was I was watching Hairspray at the Fox last night. You couldn't, by law, technically, have the touring Broadway musical Hairspray in Tennessee because I think it's illegal for a man to dress as a woman and wear makeup and all. I mean, that, that's how crazy a time we... So let's go out and celebrate that. Again, georgiaequality.org, where you can purchase your tickets to an evening for equality. That's going to do it for The Ron Show for today. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Past blogs, audio and more, ronshowatl.com. Have a great one.